Jesus, in Matthew, the book of Matthew, he gives this amazing sermon, maybe the best sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the early uh, chapters of Matthew, and it gives great teaching throughout the way. It's challenging. It's convicting. It's a new way of life. And at the very end of it, he gives kind of a defining choice, and probably familiar with this scripture. Matthew 7, 13, and 14, it says this, enter through the narrow gates, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there's, there are many who are going to enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to, what's the word? Life. Life. And there are few who find it. And so he gives a sermon and then he gives a choice. There's two paths. You can take a broad one or a, a narrow one. And you've got a choice to make. There's not an and. You can take and. There is an, an or there. Now, if you're with us, uh, weren't with us last week, I want to catch you up real quick. We're in a series called Breathing Room, and maybe you remember this from last week. There are two cabinets up here, and one, uh, I don't know if you have a cabinet like this at your house, but it looks a little bit like this, and I'm going to try to open it up for us. Things might fall out. Maybe you even have a car that when you, you have someone... Uh, come to lunch with you, you have to like clean off a, a chair to, to let them sit in there. It's just kind of chaos. Does anybody have a closet like this at their house? If it's okay. We're in church, all right? We can, you know, be honest, all right? Now, there's another, another closet over here, and it's kind of symbolic here of what we want, all right? We want some breathing room, breathing room. Now, how many of you saw this last week and, you know, you went home and you cleaned something at your house? Did you, anyone clean a closet? Anyone clean a garage? You're like, yes. All right. Some of you were, were throwing me some shade, as the kids say last week, from my garage and uh, what it looked like because I was just going to open and honest and show you a picture of my garage. Because of all that judgment that I got, I did go home. And now, there you go. Yep. So be proud uh, somewhat, uh, my wife was, I guess. Uh, so clean your garage out, that's fantastic. But I will tell you this, cleaning is not what this series is about, okay? You can have a closet that looks like that. You can have a garage that would look like for me last week. You can, but what we, we wanna hear this series is this. Your, your closet can look like that, but your heart can't look like that. Your life can't look like that. Your schedule cannot look like that. It needs breathing room. Your finances need, need breathing room there. You need space because if you don't have breathing room, there's some things that happen. There's stress. There's so much stress when you don't have breathing room in your, your finances or in your schedule. Stress, stress, stress. There's, there's other things that happen as well. Your priorities, they slowly and subtly shift to things that that don't matter, and they just shift over. And there's something else that happens. You miss opportunities for God to do something in your life. Maybe there's a, a, a thing that he wants, and he's calling you or, or asking you to do something, but you don't have the time. You don't have the space. Emotionally, physically, financially, any of those things, you kind of push out God opportunities in your life. And those kind of points are going to be throughout this, this series. Now, today, uh, we're, and also, the, the, just to kind of get us on the breathing room, what that means. It, it's, it's space, yes, but it's the space between our current pace and our limits. Our current pace and our limits. The amount that's available beyond what is necessary. That's what breathing room is. And, and we la last week we left it here. 
We, we gave you a challenge, seven minutes. Could you find seven minutes a day to, to leave some breathing room for God in your life? I hope that you did that. I hope that you took that challenge. I hope that, that you found that space this week. I talked to someone, and they were so encouraged by that time. It was convicting. It was encouraging. It was uplifting. That's what, when we create that space for God, that's what happens in those moments. So if you didn't do that, do it. Start it this week. Seven minutes a day, space uh, for God there. Back in the 1920s, there was a biologist by the name of Julian Huxley, and he said this, that the two-day work week was inevitable because the simple fact that human beings can consume only so much and no more. In the early 1930s, this guy named John Maynard uh, Keynes observed this, when we reach the point when the world produces all the goods that it needs in two days, as it inevitably will, we must turn our attention to the great problem of what we will do with all of our leisure time that we have. And in 1967, there were some futurists that came to a Senate subcommittee meeting, and they said this, because of technology that's going to come, they, they predicted this, that by the year 1985, because of this, people could be working just 22 hours a week, 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year. Okay, 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year. Does anyone working full-time do that now? That, that didn't come true, did it? <laughs> no. In fact, we work more now than we ever have before. And we have more technology at our fingertips than we've ever had. Why is that? Why is that? Hmm. Uh, there are some things that we spend some time on, uh, definitely. Just uh, throwing out some, I like these random things, facts, and things that kind of sometimes blow your mind are just interesting. Uh, ways that we spend time in a lifetime. Ways that we spend time in a lifetime. Working. The average person is going to work about 99,000 hours. This is not, that's about 11.3 years. Uh, this is average stuff, and it's from the internet, so it has to be true. Uh, three years of that time is spent in meetings, uh, which you will most certainly agree with. Uh, 26 years of our life, give or take, spent in sleeping, okay? 4.4 years of your life, if your average years played out, will be eating, okay? You got 26 years sleeping, 4.4 years eating, 4.3 years driving a car, okay? Now, six months of that time of your life will be spent at a traffic light, all right, now Houston, that's gotta be, those are gotta be inaccurate figures. They have to be like three times that amount. Uh, six months of your life will be spent waiting in lines. All right, my guess is like five and a half months of that is at the DMV uh, or at Walmart, either one of those places. Send to wait a long time there. Five months of your life on average will be spent complaining will be complaining. Most of that is because of the waiting that we're doing uh, at the DMV or at Walmart. Get this, uh, I don't know if you feel challenged by this, ladies, but it has to be true. Internet, you know, told us this. 136 days, ladies, of your life will be spent getting ready, okay? Guys, 46 days of that, okay? 46 days. 3,000 hours of that, guys, used shaving, all right? Some of you guys are helping us out by you know, taking that number down and uh, becoming, I'm not going to look a certain direction, but uh, there you go. Thank you for helping us there, guys. 
about 3,000 hours shaving. How about this? Uh, you spend about 1.5 years of your life in the bathroom, uh, 92 days on the toilet. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, I don't know if you can control that number as much unless there's a really good app or uh, game that you're playing. Um, good news, teenagers. Uh, you spend 14 days of your life kissing. 14 days of your life kissing. So if that number is zero right now, there's hope, okay? 14 days. Woohoo! So you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, 70% of your waking life will be spent in some form of digital media. That's 11 hours a day. You check your phone, on average, 150 times a day. 150 times a day. And you're checking it right now for some of you were. Five years of your life surfing the internet, 11 years watching TV, 11 years of our lives watching TV, average 2.8 hours a day, two years watching commercials, which aren't those things so annoying these days now that we can get past them. Amazing amount of time, just odd things. I don't know we can come up with other stuff. What is the most valuable thing to you? Now, maybe you mentioned some of the things up here. Maybe not. What are the most valuable things in your life, the things that you think are the most important? Maybe just as we're talking this morning, maybe you just want to jot some of those down. I always kind of think about like a top five list, the most valuable things of our, our, our lives. What's most important to you? Now, what if I told you this? I have this connection with God. We're really tight, uh, and we are. That's not a hypothetical. Uh, we are tight. If I could get you one more hour a day. Everyone else, 24 hours. You get 25 hours. What would you do with that extra hour? What would you do with it? Now, we'd like to think maybe we would spend it on some of those things we just maybe are going through in our mind, but most likely, we probably wouldn't, would we? We would spend it on maybe doing more work or playing something that maybe doesn't matter or things that are just... We're just juggling around. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick. This will be a good therapeutic exercise for us. Turn to your neighbor and say this. You are sick, okay? You are sick. You are just sick, all right? You're sick. I will receive that as well. I am sick as well. I believe, honestly, we're all sick this morning. Now, what sickness we have is this. It is the hurry sickness, the busy sickness. We're infested with it. We, we just have it. We're just, we have it through our, our, our veins. We're sick with busyness all the time. In fact, it's probably like a, 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 a mark, a, a badge of courage to be busy. It, it tells you that you're important if you're busy. You have things going on. I'm constantly juggling, juggling things. That means you have something to do. You're busy, 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 all of that. But how are we spending our, our time? How are we doing that in a way that's effective? This guy uh, wrote this book, uh, J- James Bryan Smith, and he says this. It's from The Good and the Beautiful God. This machine is a, a model of efficiency. It works ceaselessly and tirelessly until it breaks down. This machine means us. We invented the machine, machines, and they took at, we took it as a life model. We invented machines about 100 or so years ago, whenever machines started coming along. 
then we kind of took it as a, a life model. What is the connection between technology and this hurry sickness that we have? Instead of seeing ourselves as organisms, flexible and fluid, designed for rest and recreation, laughter and learning, we came to see human, the human person as yet another machine. In fact, there was this guy named Frederick Wilson Taylor. Back in the, this is the turn of the 20th century, he came to a, a, a steel mill in Philadelphia, and he had this great idea. He was going to go to every single part of the mill, and he had a stopwatch. And every single component of the factory, he began to use his stopwatch. And he was finding more ways to become more efficient for each section to become more and more efficient. And he called it the system. Ah, 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 ah. Do you have an evil laugh? Do you have like an evil doctor? Give it to me. Your best evil laugh. Ah, ah, ah. That's like, does that count? The count from uh, Sesame Street? Ah, 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 ah. One, ah, ah. Doctor, give me a, you have another laugh, better one? No, anyone? There we go, that's a good evil laugh. <laughs> All right, so that was the laugh I'm sure he had. But he said, it's gonna be called the system. There's this system that, uh, that we're working on. And this system was all about making everything more productive and more efficient. The workers hated it. Guess, okay, that's an easy guess. They hated it. But productivity, it soared. Taylor wrote these chilling words back in 1911. He said this, in the past, man has been first, but in the future, the system will be first. I think you, we, we, we see that played out. This system has kind of infested us, this hurry sickness even. Tom Cruise, back in 1986, Top Gun, if you remember, he had a phrase, I have a need a need for speed. Thank you, Goose. Uh, and I, I think that we, we took that as well. We are addicted. We love it. We love speed. Think about it. The last 10 or 15 years, think about how the advancement we've made in phones and in computers and technologies, our lives are so much faster now, so much faster. We can handle so many different more things, but we have less time. I love this. Uh, Louis C.K. is a comedian. He does this bit. I've told you about it before, but he says this. Everything is amazing, but no one is happy. Everything is amazing, but no one is happy. Remember the rotary phone? All right, you used to get mad at somebody because they have two zeros in their number because it was such a long distance to go around, and you had to wait for it to come back. We have speed dial. And when we have like only 3G on your phone, which I, I had this week, I go, come on, go faster. He says this. There is a signal. It's going to space right now, okay? Just take that in for a second. But we get so frustrated when things don't go fast. Think about the airport. You go to the airport, you wait in line, and sometimes it takes a little longer. Or maybe you have to go out to the air, like the tarmac and wait for 40 minutes, and you go, come on, I can't believe this is taking so long. You're going to go in the air in a chair, and you're going to go across the country in like hours. That used to take like 30 years, and people would die along the way, okay? <laughs> that wasn't that long ago, people, okay? But everything, we want things so fast, so, so fast. This economist, his name is Jerry Rif Jeremy Rifkin, he says this, 
We are a nation in love with speed. We drive fast and we eat fast. We're obsessed with breaking records and shortening time spans. We digest our life, condense our experiences, and compress our thoughts. We are a culture surrounded by memos and commercials, and we're convinced that speed reflects alertness, power, and success. Isn't it ironic that in a culture so committed to saving time, we feel increasingly deprived of the very thing we value? Despite our alleged efficiency, we seem to have less time for ourselves and far less time for each other. We have quickened the pace of life only to become less patient. We've become more organized, but less spontaneous, less joyful. Are you feeling this? Are you sensing this around us? We are better prepared to act on the future, but less able to enjoy the present and reflect on the past. Today, we have surrounded ourselves with time-saving technology gadgetry, only to be overwhelmed by plans that cannot be carried out, appointments that cannot be honored, schedules that cannot be filled, and deadlines that cannot be met. Maybe this is most reflective in this little book. Maybe you've seen it before. It's called The One-Minute Bedtime Story. This, I saw a TED Talk once, a guy named Carl. He did a TED Talk, and he said this. I was doing a one-minute bedtime story with my kids one night and tried to rush through the one-minute bedtime talk that's now been condensed. Why? Because we don't have time to sit down and read to our kids. One-minute bedtime stories. Wow. I love technology. Technology is not the problem, people. Technology is great. It's fantastic. Maybe it's our addiction to technology, our addiction to speed that's there. And maybe we need to unleash ourselves from technology and instead get a grip on the things that are are good for us. Our time is valuable. If you look over the scope of Scripture, and I think Scripture has something to tell us this morning. I think God has something to tell us this morning. If you look over the scope of Scripture, it tells us this. Your time is valuable. Your time is extremely valuable. It's probably the most valuable asset that you have. You can get money and get lots of it and then lose it, but gain it back, right? Once you lose time, it's gone. You're not going to get it back. It doesn't matter how much money that you have. It doesn't matter what your position in society is or in culture. You can't get time back. It is the most important thing, and it equals your life. It equals your life. Young people, you hear this all the time. If you listen to older people sometimes, they'll say things like this. Just think about the things you hear from older people. It's like this. I wish that I could go back. I wish that I could be your age. Slow down. Enjoy these days. Enjoy these seasons. There are so many times we want to get to the next season. Enjoy the season you're in. Why? Because you can't get it back. You can't. Back in, uh, when I was a kid in youth group, my youth pastor did a talk, and maybe you heard this talk before, James chapter 4, it's going to be on the screen, and, and, and James is, is a very practical book. If you're looking for a book of the Bible to read uh, in your devotion life uh, to start with, it's a great one. He's given instructions to the people and, and uh, to the church, and he, and he says this, there's this kind of lack of humility that was going around, this kind of confidence in the day, and he says this, listen You who say, today I'll I'll do this, or go to the city, spend a year there, carry business and make money, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. Ever said that before? I'll do it tomorrow, the next day. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You are a mist. Now, my youth pastor did, oh, did I leave it? I did. 
Man, there's Lonnie on the spot. Look at that. Thank you, dude. My, uh, just like my youth pastor, he was very handy. Uh, he did this. Your life is but a, you've heard this before, right? It's like a vapor. And I think he just was doing it to wake us up that night. But uh, and he would do this in the air. He's like, that's what your life is like. It's here and it's gone. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It's there and it's, and it's gone. And he was really wanting us to think about how the brevity of our life and the shortness of it. And he says this, you ought to say instead, if the Lord's will, we will live or do this or do that. If you boast in your arrogant schemes, this boasting is evil. And this is a great line for us. If anyone knows the good they ought to do, but they don't do it, it's a sin for them. Know the good you ought to do, but you just don't do it. It's a sin. Moses says it this way. Uh, in the, the Psalms, there's all these Psalms that are written that a lot of our songs come from. David's written a lot of them. But in Psalm 90, Moses actually is the author. In the first several verses, he's talking about the grandeur of God, the greatness of God. To God, I mean, just the amazing nature of who he is. A thousand years, or just a few hours to him, the brevity, the, the shortness. And he says this in, in Psalms 90. It, it's, it's a good lesson for us. Teach us the brevity of life. And in other versions, it says this, teach us to number our days, God. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may grow in wisdom. Help us to understand the shortness of life. Keep that in front of us so that we will grow in, in wisdom. Now, I find myself praying uh, when I pray these days uh, a lot for wisdom. That's one of the biggest things. God, give me wisdom. I, we want wisdom. We want to make wise choices. So we should continually think about the shortness, the brevity of our life and hold it to be very valuable because your time is valuable. It's so, so valuable. So because our time is so valuable, you know what we should do? Spend it on things that we value. We should spend it on things that we value. I heard this story this week uh, I don't know if you found any marbles around. Uh, it's a great story. A guy named Bill, he, uh, you can grab a marble and, and play with it. Just don't hit your neighbor. Uh, 55 years of age, he came to this point in his life, and he just found himself to be not very happy and discontent. And he, hap he had this, this huge bowl of marbles, and it, it had him, just begin, his mind began to race and to think, you know, the time average person lives about to about 75 so he had about 20 years left. And he thought, well, how many, how many weekends have, have I had? What is the average person? How many weekends does the average person have? And he said, there are 3,900 Saturdays, give or take, in someone's life. 3,900 Saturdays. And he said, well, I'm 55 years old now. So now I don't have as many Saturdays. And he began to do the math. And he basically said, I have 1,000 Saturdays left. And so he took a 1,000 marbles, and he put them in a, in a jar. And every single Saturday that was spent, he would take the marble out, and he would thank God for the day and, and reflect on how he spent that weekend, how he spent that Saturday. Was it productive? Was it, was it going after the things that were important to him in life, the things that, were, that he valued the most? I think this, this dad heard this story. Uh, because uh, just one of those things where you just read two stories that are very similar in the same week. There was a dad that uh, he kind of had a wake-up call, and he realized that his daughter, sophomore in high school, he heard that story, and he said, you know what? I've only got 100 
and 43 Saturdays left with my daughter until she graduates. 143 Saturdays. Some of you, this is a very real point in life. You've only got so many Saturdays until graduation. Some of you are celebrating that in a very real way. And you, and you should. It's a great accomplishment. Uh, and so what he would do is every single Saturday, he would take a marble out. And there would be one less. How did I spend this Saturday? Did I spend it uh, in, a, in a great way? Did we, did we do something that was worth our time? Did I invest in my daughter? And he would throw that marble away because you can't get it back again. You can't. You can't get it back again. And so it was such a visual thing for him, it began to really help him to focus. Now, for some of us, we think about, okay, that's just the, the massness, the, the, the largeness of, of, of things. We don't think about just the, the importance of, of one in the middle of all of that. You know, we see that even with exercise. We're like, we get really pumped about exercise. You know, when I was in college, I noticed that the ladies really like muscles, uh, but I didn't really like working out. Uh, so I found that I would go like one day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start this. And you go and you, you lift weights really hard that day because you want to get it all in. But, but what happens? You are extreme, there's pain and agony the next day, which keeps you from going the next day. And you're just like, okay, I think that's enough, okay? And I'll do that the, the next year. But, but that's not enough. You're not going to build muscles that way. It's, there's a cumulative effect of one increment, when you add those up, it builds something amazing. Malcolm Gladwell says this. He did this book called Outliers. Maybe you've read it before. And he said, for someone to become an expert at, someone, at something, to be something really good at it, like a, a musician uh, or an athlete, they have to put in about 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours to be an expert at something, to be good at something. 10,000 increments added up makes something amazing. Now, for some, that's discouraging. You go, wow, that's, I don't have time for that. You don't have time not to invest. You need to begin now and consistently. Don't use this as a discouragement. You, you put ends on a lot of things. You see ladies who are getting ready for the big day, a wedding day, and guess what? They know exactly how many days are left. There's a plan. Most of the time that's associated with a huge notebook of things. If you wait to the end, to the last weekend, that doesn't go well, okay? Right? You with me? Same thing's true for a huge test. If you get to the, you have three or four weeks ready for this big test or this big paper, and if you wait to the last minute, and that's a lot of times that's not going to go well, and it definitely doesn't go well with relationships, you, you can't cram for the most important things in your life. You can't just shove that into one increment. It has to be slowly built up. And in the same way, the things that are most important, you come to a choice sometimes and you go, maybe I, I can skip one. And you can. You can skip one. But then it begins to set patterns in your life, right? I see this all the time with people. I value my relationship with God. Well, I'll just have this thing going on on Sunday and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. And there's these patterns. Do you have to be here at church every Sunday? We don't take attendance, people. We don't like write your name down, okay? But I found this. In this pattern of my life, I need to be with God's people. To reorient my life, 
to sing, to read God's word, to align my heart with God. Because once I get out of alignment, then it becomes, there's a ripple effect to that choice that's there. Okay, There's a pattern that, that's set there. Because I've, my, my time is so valuable, Lord, teach me to spend it on things that I value the most, the most important things. Have you ever noticed this? Jesus was never in a hurry. If you look at the gospel, it wasn't like he was like, we got to get to the next thing. We got to get to the next thing. Or we got this thing. Or no. Jesus was never in a hurry in the Bible. He's always really chill, Jesus, okay? I don't know if that had to do with the hair. It just kind of feels like a kind of a California kind of Jesus. But he was just... He was just chill all the time. You see that in Mark. Look at this. Things are really starting to get geared up in his ministry. People are being healed. Demons are getting exercised. Things are happening. People are finding out he's becoming more popular. And it says this, Mark 135, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up to an isolated place and he was there to pray. He spent this time, it was so important to him to pray, to spend time with the Father. Then later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been doing, Jesus? We got stuff to do. It's, you're hot right now, baby. Your name's out there. You need to keep this going. Fill that schedule up. Does Jesus like, yeah, you're, you're right. I've got to go. No. He replied, we must go to other towns as well. I've got a mission. Let's take our time here, boys. I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus was in the moment. He was present. He had time. He wasn't in a hurry. That's why when someone came up to him, he could take the time to say, stop. I'm going to be here for this person because I have time. I've, I've made time for it. But he was on a mission in the midst of not hurrying around, he was on a mission. He always had Jerusalem on his mind. If you look throughout the scripture, my mission, the cross, to teach, to preach, to, to love others. The cross is always the, the, the main purpose, the main focus, the, the mission of my life. It's always there. I wonder if in the hurriedness of our life, the speed of our life, that we forget our mission. John Ortenberg is, is a great pastor and an author. He uh, took a huge uh, job as a, as a, as a church in a, in a massive new church, and he went to his friend Dallas Willard. He said this, I need some advice. I've got this big new responsibility. What should I do? Give me some advice of how to manage all this. And Dallas tells him this, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry for your, your life. And, and, and John writes that down and says, okay, what's next? He said, that's it. <laughs> Be present in the moment instead of thinking about the next. Can you do that? That's a challenge. How many of you are like your computer screens? You've got many different windows open at once. Can you be present in the moment that's there? There's a dad that took his kid to a coffee shop one day, and he was thinking about this. He's processing this and how... You know, he heard this from his child a lot. I'm bored. We're always busy. I'm, I'm, I'm bored. Busy and bored at the same time. You hear these words. And he said this. We, we're going to go early. Before we have this event, we're going to go 15 minutes early and spend time in this coffee shop. I'm going to get coffee. He's going to get a Coke. We're going to spend some time together and, and just enjoy it. Well, we, they get there. They get their coffee, get their Coke. The kid's like, okay, let's go, Dad. No, 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 son. We're going to stay, and, and we're going to sit here, and we're going to spend some time together. Okay. This is what I want you to do, son. 
I want you to, to pick out five things that you've never noticed before about the coffee shop. Okay, Dad. He stops and begins to notice the different things. I never noticed that. that I really like this. I really like that. And then he has these different moments. Everything kind of slows down, and, and things begin to look a little different. And, and he asks his son this, what's the point of this exercise? And, and he, he says, his son responds this, to stop and to notice the world's features? And he says, brilliant. Why is that so important? And the son says this, I guess because the world has a lot of things worth noticing. More wisdom. I was so proud of my boy. That's exactly right. There are a lot of things in this world that are worth noticing. And God wants to show you but if we're not in the moment with him, we can't experience them. We can't see them. We can't enjoy them. I wrote a letter to Melanie in college, and we had not, actually, we had a long-distance relationship, so we didn't know a ton about each other at the time. And I wrote these lines. I was trying to be poetic. I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but basically to the effect of, you have amazing, gorgeous, glorious blue eyes. She doesn't have blue eyes. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, that's become a little bit of a joke for us through the years, that uh, how much I love my wife's blue eyes. Uh, but one of the things I love to do is just stop and notice my wife. Pause. She's very valuable to me. In the midst of the chaos of life, sometimes we're so hurried, we see the things that are not happening the things that are, are not going on, are not important. But sometimes I just stop, and I love her green eyes, and they're green. They're amazing, color green. I can't describe them. I wish I had the words. Then I notice how much uh, she loves our kids, how much she loves the Lord, her character. I see it in different moments, and sometimes things move so fast, I don't see it. So valuable. And the same thing's true about our Lord. When you stop and spend time with him, you begin to notice amazing things. Amazing. But if you don't have that time, then you won't notice that. Your depth of relationship will stay shallow. And God does not want that for us or the things that we value the most. Because my time is so valuable, God, help me to slow down so that I can be present in every single moment, to be present in every single moment. Last uh, couple weeks ago, I shared a passage of scripture, and it's really been plaguing me a little bit, and, and I want to kind of leave us on, on this scripture. For once, this is Ephesians 5, for once you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases God. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Then down to, to verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Don't we want to be wise? Count our days. Value our days. Value our, our time. But understand what the Lord's will is. I heard this story once from Rob Bell. And uh, he said this, one day there's a family, they're at the beach, and they were walking down the beach, and, and the boys were out on the beach and they were playing, and they were picking up shells, 
ever been to the beach and you see these little shells everywhere? Most of them were just fragments of shells. They weren't even really full shells. And, and they were just picking them all up and they're holding it and using their shirt and their hands and they're trying to get as many of these little bitty shells and broken things as they can. They're, they're, they're just, they found tons of them that day, just little itty bitty fragments everywhere. And they're, they're holding them up just kind of there. And suddenly, one of the boys sees floating about 30 feet off into the, into the waves, an amazing starfish, and it's just floating there. And you see the little boy's eyes light up. And, and the parents go, go get it, go get it. And the boy runs, and he starts to run, and he's got his shells, and he goes out, and you just see him from a distance. He goes in a couple steps, and then he, he backs up. And then he goes again, and he backs up again. And, and, and the dad says, go for it, go for it. And the boy yells back, I can't. My hands are full of shells. My hands are full of shells. Let them go. And the kid runs, and he gets the starfish, and he waves it in the air. You can't hold everything. You can't. There's sometimes in your life that there's an, that there, I can have an and but you're going to drop something else. You are. Even when you don't realize it, you're dropping something, and some of those things are very important to you, and you're adding things that are not important to you because you're trying to hold everything. There are moments in our life, too, where God says this, there is an or. You can have this, or you can have that, but you can't have both. Today, I want to leave you with this question. What's something in your life right now, maybe it's something in your schedule that you need to let go of? It is taking you away from Jesus. It is taking you away from things that are so valuable to you. They're so important to you. And you don't want that to happen, but you're allowing it to happen by holding too much right now. And God is saying you need to let that go. Can I tell you something this morning? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a person this morning that you're holding to, on to, and that person is drawing you away from Jesus. It, it's taking time away. It's, it's taking your focus away. It's taking your heart away. What are the things that you, that you need to let go of? What is something that you want to add to your life? You've got things that don't matter. You need to add something that does matter that are going to help you accomplish. Maybe it's that thing that seems so insignificant, but it's so important when you add it all up. This morning, we're going to sing that song again, and I just want you to use this time as, as a time of reflection, spending, maybe asking yourself that question in your heart, maybe spending just time at God's feet this morning, God, what do I need to add? What do I need to subtract? God, you are so important to me. Help me to let go of the things that are not important that are just cluttering my mind and my heart and my schedule and my life. God, help me to value the things that are most important. Let's spend some time with our God this morning and recognize that. Jesus, we love you so much. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Father, help us. Lord, help us to push to the forefront the things that we love the most and we value the most, Jesus. 
in the midst of our culture and our time, God, that would call us one direction. God, we choose another path, a path to life. God, I pray that you would help us to be in the moment. Lord, I pray that we would be present or to create space that isn't for things that are important. God, most importantly for you, God, Jesus, help us to find Sabbath rest in the week, in the day. God, where our heads and our hearts are turned toward you, God. Lord, I pray that your word would be open to us this week, that you would reveal yourselves, that we would grow roots deeper in your word this week, God, that it would come alive as we begin to explore it even further. God, that we would share in community and life together. We would love others and make time for people and to serve others, Jesus. I pray that we would make time for family, God, for friends. Lord, that the chaos of life wouldn't be so loud that we, we miss the cries and the, the, the need for help from people that are right beside us. God, help us to love well this week, God. Lord, help us to add, help us to subtract. Lord, help us to do it through your guidance and your will, God. Lord, we love you and we lift these things up to you this day in your name. Amen.